0: what matt was sharing with you guys about Kidtown, you know how when Kidtown has a need it means that uh, your whole congregation has a need but that's also the way that we think about being one church at midtown that yes what god is doing over here in west nashville is beautiful and that what god is doing here he's also doing in east nashville he's doing at granny white he's doing at 12 south and that we are a part of this church together and so it's a real privilege and honor to me to get to see and be a part of what God is doing over here this morning. So, uh, as you guys know, we just started a new sermon series, right? It's called Be Curious, which is, of course, from Ted Lasso, which all of the pastors love. But uh, also uh, is, I think, so relevant for us as we consider uh, what it means to be on journey with Jesus. Because some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time, right? Like some of you for decades of your life. It's really easy when you've uh, when you've known someone for a long time to stop being curious about them, isn't it? And have you ever been in a relationship like that, where curiosity has just dried up? I don't even mean romantically. I mean it could be anything, and even in friendships, where you look at the other person and you think, ah, I don't even need to ask them that question because I already know what they're going to say. And when we're we're in relationships like that, what happens is the other person becomes flattened out. They become a character, or at worst, a caricature. Not even a real person. And it's easy for us, if we've been in church for a long time, to treat Jesus that way. Like a caricature, like a character, rather than a truly living, active, and alive Savior who is present with us even today. But that's what's true. And so, what we're hoping in this sermon series is that it stokes our curiosity. It stokes your curiosity, and maybe, maybe you're here not because you've been in church for a long time, but maybe because you're dipping your toes back in and you're wondering, uh, is who is Jesus actually? Maybe you've been wounded by what other people have told you that Jesus is like, and you're here because you're wondering, who is Jesus actually? or maybe you have zero history with Jesus at all, and you're here because you are simply curious. What we're hoping for in this series, what I'm hoping for this morning, is that as we get into God's word, uh, our curiosity about Jesus would not be satisfied, but that it would be stoked and it would grow, that we would have more of it when we're done. That the more we learn about Jesus, the more we would want to know. Because although he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the depth of his character and of his heart and of his love for you is so great that you could never know the end of it. That what's true about Christ is that you can go on knowing him and learning about him for the rest of your life and never come to the end of him. And what I'm hoping is true this morning is that our passage stokes that curiosity in you. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to John 1 is where we're going to be. Is it going to be back here? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yes, okay. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do with me. Uh, As we read, I'm going to invite Shannon to come up. Shannon, yes. Shannon's going to read for us. And I'm going to ask you a question when Shannon is done reading, okay? And here's the question. I'm going to ask you, what are you curious about? And then we're going to and then I'm going to ask you and you're going to respond. Okay? And we're going to take some observations of things that you are curious about based on the scripture that Shannon has just read, okay? So I'm I'm prompting you so that when I ask that, you have something to say. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay, Shannon.
1: Okay. Is this already on? Okay. Our reading comes from John 1 verses 43 through 51. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Let's pray. Father, we are we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you desire and delight to reveal yourself to us and pray that you would do that for us this morning. Let me pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what are you curious about after hearing that passage read? What happened under the fig tree? tree? Yes. What's the deal with that? I go to Galilee. Yeah, what's the deal with Nazareth? Jeez. Guys, I'm in a small group, you know, and one of our guidelines is silence, so I can wait all day. (laughs) Give me one or two more. yeah, why don't we experience God's power more? How could we get more of that? One more. Why Nathaniel? Nathaniel? Okay, now I hope that you all had things that you were curious about that you just didn't ask, right? Because that's what we hope is true as we're going through these passages. And we're not going to address all those questions, but I hope what we're, what we're building is this muscle of curiosity. And Matt has told me that every Sunday for the rest of this semester, he's going to do this exercise with you. So he hasn't told me that. But uh, you could do it because every passage of Scripture is, is, has this kind of depth because it's as deep as Jesus is. And we're going to plumb uh, some of that this morning. What we're going to look at is how Jesus responds to our skepticism. How does Jesus respond to skepticism? And then we're going to talk about our response to skepticism. So if you were a note-taking person, those are your two points, okay? How Jesus responds to skepticism and how uh, how we respond to skepticism. Okay, so uh, just to kind of place you in the narrative, we're here at the opening of Jesus' ministry in John 1. So you can kind of think about it like the beginning of the Avengers, right? When they're like gathering all the superheroes together and Black Widow goes to see Hulk and convince him to come and join them, right? That's, it, that's all my Marvel uh, knowledge right there. So you just exhausted it. I was going to use Oceans 11, but I thought that was not very relevant. So it's like Avengers, okay? And, and Jesus is gathering all of these people to follow him here at the, here at the opening of his ministry. And it's just kind of happened earlier in John 1 uh, when some followers of John the Baptist come to Jesus, and then they go invite their friends. They say, hey, come and see Jesus. And then Philip goes and invites Nathaniel. Hey, come and see Jesus. These people are coming to see Jesus. And, and what Philip tells his friend Nathaniel is we found him about whom Moses wrote. So what did Moses write, right, is the question you're all asking. Well, I'm glad you asked. Okay, it's Deuteronomy 18, 15. And what Moses tells the people is there's going to be a prophet like me who will arise from among you, and when that happens, you need to listen to him. that was a big deal because Moses was a big deal, right? That Moses was a mediator between the people of God and God himself. When Moses spoke to the people, the people heard God's words. And Moses went on behalf of the people and represented them before God. And so what Moses has told the Israelites is there's going to be a day where someone who fills that role is going to come among you, and when that happens, you need to pay attention to him. And Philip is telling his friend Nathaniel, that day is here. And that man is from the city of Nazareth, and his dad's name is Joseph. you realize the nation of Israel has been waiting centuries for this moment. And Nathaniel's response is, Nazareth, huh? Nothing good could come out of Nazareth. Which makes me think of, so I grew up in California, and I moved out here for school. And when I started, and I told people I was from California, uh, people always thought I was very exotic. It was like, oh, wow, California, huh? Like, oh, yeah, I'm very cool, so... And then, uh, by my senior year, other people from California had moved here to Nashville and, like, were going to school with me. And they would say, oh, California, where in California? And I would say, Bakersfield. And they would go, oh. (laughs) See, some of you already started to laugh about it, right? Oh, that's not California. That's the armpit of California. I was like, okay, first of all, that's rude, right? But what they were saying was, can anything good come from Bakersfield? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh... If you've ever had a baby carrot, that comes from Bakersfield. But that's a different discussion, okay? So we all kind of have this same, like, you know, we have those regional prejudices that we carry that Nathaniel is displaying here for us. Oh, Nazareth, okay, rolling his eyes. But I think there's something deeper here that's happening for Nathaniel as well. That what we're encountering in Nathaniel is something that lives deep in the heart of each of us, which is a resistance to good news. Because, friends, we live uh, in a world that requires us to be skeptical in order to survive, don't we? Talk about a symptom of late modern capitalism. Because you and I are always being marketed to. Always. And if we didn't carry with us a healthy dose of skepticism, we would have no money left. Because we would have bought every lie that told us if you just purchased this product, if you just drove this car, if you just went to this place or had this vacation, you would finally be happy. You would finally be beautiful. You would finally be exactly the person you want to be. Because that's what we are always being told. And so we come to everything with a skepticism that pushes away those, that good news, that pushes away promises. We are conditioned in a world of fake news, right? We were watching it unfold just last week in, in Eastern Europe. Is Russia telling the truth? Is the Ukraine telling the truth? It's probably somewhere in the middle, right? It's all of this dis- disinformation. We're taught to approach the world with skepticism and to say the good news that I'm being told can't actually be as good as they're saying it is. So what develops in us is a hardness of heart, a pushing away. And our curi- our curiosity becomes divorced from hope, and what we're left with is skepticism that our curiosity gets divorced from hope, and what we're left with is skepticism. But that's what we see in Nathaniel. Now, how do you think Jesus responds to that? I mean, like we read the passage. Okay, so just put that aside for a minute. But in your own heart, how do you expect Jesus to respond to Nathaniel's skepticism? Do you think that Jesus is going to be skeptical of Nathanael? Maybe kind of push him away or show him who's boss a little bit? Straighten him out some? We've got to be honest with ourselves if we're going to understand Jesus for who he is about the, the preconceptions that we have about who he should be. Because what we do on our own and in our own imaginations left to ourselves is that we imagine a God who is like us. And that when people say to me, can anything good come from Bakersfield, right? That what I want to do is push them away too. That that is our natural assumption of who and what Jesus is. But the Jesus we meet here is very different. Look at what he says to Nathaniel. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. You recognize Jesus is celebrating Nathaniel. That he's celebrating the fact that in Nathaniel there's that Nathaniel is looking for truth. That under all of that skepticism, Nathaniel got up from under the fig tree and he came. And he had a desire to know it was true. And Jesus was saying, even though there is so much kind of layered on top of that, that is good. An Israelite who, in whom there is no deceit. An Israelite who wants to know what's true. And then Nathaniel, you know, brings with him another little bit of skepticism. How do you know me? Like, you know, when someone gets like a little bit too chummy with you, and you're like, okay, you don't know me. Right? I think that's kind of what Nathaniel is doing here. And then hear what Jesus says to him. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. That what Jesus is displaying is a kind of supernatural knowledge that he could not have had unless he was more than a human. A kind of knowledge that he would have only through his access to God the Father. That Jesus is choosing to meet Nathanael in his skepticism and communicate to him, reveal to him something about himself that's true. How kind is that? How immensely caring. This man who is so afraid of hearing good news that Jesus meets him and comes right into that place of fear and confronts him with the truth in a way that he can hear it and see it and grasp it for himself. Maybe you're wondering, well, what about all those other people in Scripture who, a- scripture who ask for signs and don't get it? Right? What about them? Because that happens, doesn't it? it? Happens just a few chapters later in John 6:30, The people ask Jesus for a sign and he doesn't give one to them. And what you need to know is that Jesus is always acting out of love to the people around him. Always. Those people in John 6 who demand a sign, remember, Jesus just fed them with fishes and loaves, with two fishes and five loaves, or however many, it was a very small number of fishes and loaves, right? And he fed a lot of them, 5,000 of them, more than that. They've already had a sign. And what Jesus knows about them is that they're not coming to him seeking truth, that they're looking for sensationalism or they're looking to be confirmed in their cynicism and because Jesus loves them he's not going to let them be distracted by sensationalism and he's not going to confirm them in their cynicism. Instead he's going to challenge them because he loves them. So what we see Jesus doing here with Nathanael is meeting him right where he needs to be met, which is with truth, and truth in a very specific way. And then this is great then then Nathanael says, oh, rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. What an about face, right? There's a little piece of information and everything turns for Nathaniel, which shows, again, that he was someone who was who wanted to know who Jesus was. And then Jesus says this to him. Because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Oh, Nathaniel, there is so much more to come. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And this is a callback to Genesis 28. So there's this guy, his name is Jacob. He's kind of the patriarch of Israel. And unlike Nathaniel, in whom there was no deceit, there was lots of deceit in Jacob. That Jacob tricked his brother out of a birthright, and because of that, his brother hated him, and Jacob was on the run trying to escape from his brother for his life, and is sleeping in the middle of the desert, and he's using a rock as a pillow one night. And God comes to him in a dream. And in the dream, there's a ladder. And probably not the kind of ladder that we are thinking of, but a ladder uh, like in an ancient temple. If you want to find an image of it later, it's called the ziggurat, so you can Google image search that. But it was all of these steps that would get up to the top of a temple, and up at the top of the temple is where priests would go to meet with God. And they would act as angels or as messengers who would come down and tell the people, this is what God has to say to you. And if you were a really holy person, maybe you could climb your way up to God. And what happens in Jacob's dream is that God is not at the top of the ladder, that God comes down and is next to him in the middle of the desert, that God says, I will be with you. And Jesus here is pulling on that imagery from Nathaniel because for Nathaniel, because what he's telling him is, I'm the fulfillment of Jacob's dream. I'm here. God is now here, in the flesh, among you, revealing himself to you. That's the fullness of who Jesus is. And He is giving that to a man who just a few seconds later was rolling his eyes at him. Which, I don't know about you, but growing up in my house, that was like the worst thing you could do, right? How kind is that of Jesus? What that shows us is that our Jesus is a Jesus who delights to reveal himself to people. And that's true for you. That's true for me in the places in our own lives where we experience skepticism and doubt. That what our Jesus delights to do is to reveal himself to us. And what he shows us is that he has come to be that mediator that Moses was, right? That's between us and God. Because he's got the mediator between us and God, himself as God. That there's now nothing we have to do to climb our way up to God, but that now God is here with us always. Not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. Which means there is nothing that can separate you from that love. That there is no sin that is too dark, there is no shame that is too deep, Keep you away from the love of your Jesus that is always with you. That's the revelation that Jesus is promising to Nathaniel. And he's telling Nathaniel, You only see a piece of it now, but you're going to see a lot more of it very soon. That's how Jesus responds to skepticism. How do you respond to it? Like, are you ever skeptical? Of God? Do you ever have questions that feel divorced from hope? Do you ever look at God's promises and think, that's too good to be true? Do you ever doubt? Do you ever beat yourself up because of those things? what if, as a community, we stopped treating ourselves that way and treated our skepticism and doubt the way Jesus treated it? Not as if something was wrong because of those things, but if those just showed us the places where we want and need desperately to experience hope in our lives. But those would be warning signs, that they would be lights that show us, hey, that's a place that you need hope. Friends, doubt is not the absence of faith. Doubt is what clues us in uh, that we need to lean in to Jesus, that we ourselves need to come and see. Trusting that Jesus delights to meet us in those places. What if that was the way that we were as a community, with ourselves and with each other? That when our friends, when the people around us express skepticism or doubt, that what that didn't push up up pu- put. What if that didn't push up in us fear or uh, explosive reactions, but a desire to draw near and say, "Let's go and see Jesus about that. Come and see." Well, the absence of faith is when we go and we deal with those skepticisms and doubts by ourselves outside of the means which God has given for us to address them. And the means he's given to us to address them are his word and his people and our relationships coming into the light with those things and being met by Christ in those things as we meet with his people in those things. We want to we be a people who respond to skepticism and doubt the way Jesus did that that would be true in our own lives, but that that would also be true in the way that we engage our community. Because I know what is true about you guys as Midtown West, and it's true about us over at East, is that our desire is that we would be a come and see community, right? That we would be the kind of community that says to the people around us, hey, come and see Jesus with us. That we would be like Philip in this passage, saying, come and see, come and see, come and see. I just want to talk for a minute about how this passage speaks to us, saying to other people, "Come and see." Can you? Can we do that? Are you with me still? Can I get some nods, maybe? Or okay, good. So I don't know about you, <coughs> but when I think about saying to other people, "Come and see," um, one of the things that I'm afraid of encountering in them is skepticism. Are you ever afraid of that? something you need to know is that uh, there are people in the world who are curious about Jesus. That's true. There, it's hard, I know, it's, if you, especially if you've grown up in the South, right, or around church for a long time, it's very hard to imagine that there could be people in the world who don't know very much about Jesus, but it's true. And they don't only live in faraway countries, they live on your street. That's true. I can tell. I had a guy who was living next door to me in the midst of the pandemic. And he found out I was a pastor, which he blew his mind. He said, I have never had a spiritual conversation with someone my age ever. The only person I have ever had a spiritual conversation with is my grandma, and she doesn't speak my language. That's what he told me. And it's, it's hard for me to explain to you how little familiarity he had with Jesus. None. And he was just curious. Who is he? There are people like that who are around you. So rather than being scared off by all the things you imagine people are thinking, I just want to remind you, there are people who are curious about Jesus who are desperate to hear somebody say to them, come and see. And there are people to whom you will say, come and see, and what you will encounter is skepticism. And I've been thinking about this week. Why is that so scary? Like, why am I so nervous that when I say to somebody, "Come and see," they're gonna they're gonna be skeptical? Why is that such a problem? I don't know. It could be a lot of things. I think one of the things could be rejection, right? That I don't like to be rejected that i'm afraid that if if someone asks me a question about Jesus and i don't have the answer like there's not an answer or as if i am responsible for having every answer for them well if that is where we're coming from of course we're going to be afraid to encounter somebody else's skepticism but can i just let you off the hook guys that's not true that what you're saying to people is not come and see me who has all the answers but come and see Jesus bring your questions to him and if i can help you take those things to him I will absolutely do it. And if I don't have the answer, we can ask somebody else. Come and see. Sometimes what we push back on, well, I, don't wanna, I can't say come and see because what if they actually saw me and that my life doesn't actually align with all the things I'm saying I believe? Welcome to the club. Neither does my life. Because that's not where our hope is. Come and see is not come and see me but come and see what Jesus is doing in me. The repentance that he's growing in me. The forgiveness that he's given me that's changing my life. Come and see that. Come and see, come and see, come and see. And that what we would find, that what we would find when we do that, and what we want the people around us to find when, when they do that is a Jesus whose goodness is beyond our comprehension, whose grace and mercy for us is more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's the Jesus that we find when we come and see. There's a song that I really love. And it's by a woman named Jess Ray, and it's called Too Good. I'm just going to read you some of the lyrics from that song. It says, it's not as we've seen and it's not as we've read and it's not as they said. How we need to forget and we need to reset and be like children again? No. Are you hungry and have no money? You can sit at this table. Are you thirsty and unworthy? You can draw from this well. Are you weak Are you poor? Are you wanting for more in the quiet of your heart? To yourself, you say, I wish someone would pass my way and give me a new start. And she says, Sweetheart, stop cutting your sweet arms no hope, smoking dope, drinking your life away. Let's dance and sing. Let's eat from the tree. Come down to the river with me. It may be too good to be understood, but it is not too good to be true. It may be too good to be understood, but it's not too good to be true. And friends, that's true for you. That's true for you and your Jesus. That his grace for you, his mercy for you, his his love for you, his goodness towards you, it is too good to be understood because it's more than you could ever ask or imagine. It's not about what you deserve or don't deserve. It's so far beyond that because it's a gift that he's given to you. And that may be too good to be understood, but it is not too good to be true. So come and see. Come and see yourself. Invite other people to come and see. Let me pray for us. Father, we, uh, we thank you that you are God who invites us to come and see. Lord, that you meet us in our skepticism, and our doubt, Lord, in our curiosity that is so often devoid of hope, of finding anything that's true. Lord, you meet us there and you show us yourself. And what you show us is that you have come down to us to be a revelation, the revelation of who God is. That you have come down to us because we could never come up to you, but because you have come down, we can be with you now and into forever. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for the glorious the glorious truth that that is for us. And God, our hearts are so small. Lord, our vision of your goodness is so small. But Lord, we... We confess that, we repent of that, and we ask that even this morning that you would be broadening our hearts and our minds to know a little bit more of your goodness toward us this morning. Lord, as we worship, as we sing, would you show us that you're good? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.